Hey bosses, before we get started, I wanted to remind you that the Nomad Summit is coming to both Cancun, Mexico and Chiang Mai, Thailand this year. So go to nomadsummit.com for all the details and a chance at discounted tickets. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 230 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I have a really fun episode today with Calvin Sun from Monsoon Diaries. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Man, I'm actually really excited to have you on. I, I heard your interview on the Badass Asian podcast. I think it was, was it episode nine? Yeah, nine is my favorite number. Actually. Yeah. So, and I was interviewed on there on episode seven. Uh, so shout out to the Bad Ass Asian Men podcast. Uh, and you just had the most interesting story. It was like, I mean, you're a doctor, you're an ER doctor, and you have a travel company, and you built all this while in med school. Yeah, accidentally. Yeah, and it was such a good interview, and I just wanted to get you on the podcast to talk a little bit more about the business side, but also the travel side, because I think there was so much to unpack that you guys didn't really even get into all the super interesting places you've been. So, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the the podcast, I think, was a big starter, but we didn't really go into, and I and hope we have a follow-up one, on like the finances and how I was able to do it practically as a medical student. Uh, no tricks, no... Uh, cheats just straight up brute force and i feel like it, really honestly if i could do it anyone who's listening to this can do it too as long as they believe in it uh, and so i'm excited to go you know take a deeper dive yeah that's really cool uh and shout out to chris kim from the badass asian dudes podcast for connecting us uh, but also having us on his show yeah chris thanks thanks for putting us together chris <laughs> Yeah, and I think that was, that was kind of the whole purpose of his community is just to kind of introduce, yeah. you know, people who are doing cool things together. And I think in your case, and probably my case as well, it has less to do with us specifically being Asian. We, I think we just happen to be Asian, but we also had some struggles that are probably a little bit different than, you know, people from, you know, that grew up from um, other ethnicities. Right. But, no, yeah. you know, I always try to say that I think we went from I succeeded despite being Asian American, I want to transform that narrative or what you say in your uh, show, transcend that narrative to I succeeded or we succeeded because we were Asian American. Yeah, because there's plenty of people who grew up, you know, I don't want to say privileged, but like th they still aren't traveling. So yeah, it, it almost doesn't really matter that much. It's, it's a mindset. I mean, would you believe and we can go into this later was I hated traveling. I hated the idea of traveling and I only started traveling because I lost a bet. I like was oh, wow. drive kicking and screaming. Yeah. Really? That is how I started out. Yep. Yeah. Same thing with the whole doctor story. I did not want to be a doctor. And it only became it because, as I spoke on a uh, podcast with Chris, I lost a bet, drag kicking and screaming. And it was the best decisions I ever made. I'm like much more happy and grateful now. But I knew if I like set out with those goals in mind, I don't think it would be as authentic or genuine. Oh, that's as crazy. It is now. Right, so, what was your first trip? My first trip, bar the. The whole family trips that where my parents took me to San Francisco on a you know weekend trip when I was four years old I wasn't even conscious at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, barring those, I my I would say my first real trip was Egypt in 2010 when I was 23 years old as my first like independent solo by myself trip that I didn't expect to go on until 24 to 48 hours before I got on that flight and that's a long story in itself. Prior to that, I did go internationally, but those were all with people, with friends, like going along, wasn't really alone, alone. So I don't, I count traveling as like really, you're doing it for yourself. 
not for other people. Okay, that makes sense. And what was that bet? I'd be curious to hear about that. Oh my god. Uh, well, I'll be honest, and I'll be perfectly clear. This is I was 23. I was a bartender, and this is not a rated PG story. That's but right. I met someone while bartending and really liked the person I was serving. And I mean, it was a big party, and one thing led to another. Uh, she kind of stuck around uh, the bar all night, and we became pretty close that night. It was like one of those before sunrise moments, but in New York City. And let's just say the next morning, I finally had a you know conversation with her about how awesome the past you know twelve hours that we knew each other were, and she agreed. But the the issue was that she was about to leave for Egypt for about. You know, ah, a month with her family, uh-huh. and she and then it was fine. Like for me, I was like, "Oh, that's that's awesome! Like that's that's really cool." I'll see you when you get back, and we'll pick up where we left off. And that was it. Very innocent, twenty-three year olds in New York City. But then at the time, what was funny was I had two other friends also going to Egypt at the same time. So I thought, "Well, what a coincidence! You should meet them." Yeah. Uh, let's see where this goes because why I it couldn't stop. I couldn't not think about like the possibility of them. You know, three of them having out. You know, an awesome time in Egypt through me like kind of like how chris brought us together uh-huh. like it's you know something that would be cool so i introduced her to them they actually did get along later that night we were drinking we're having fun and of course the three of them turned to me and i was like well you have to come with us you should be the fourth person you know and i was just like ah oh, no i don't like traveling like i'm from new york city born and raised the whole world comes to me what is the point of spending all this money and time to visit places that you're not going to live in anyway because you know you know, New York City. This is, that's that's where I'm from. And yeah. So for a lot of people that don't, don't know, like New York has food from every cuisine. So if you want to eat Ethiopian food, if you want to have Nepalese food, you can just go down the street. You don't need to go on a yep. plane. And you have exactly. people from all different cultures. And yep. it's it really is. Everyone dreams to go to New York. So why go anywhere else, right? Exactly. And I refused. I was like, no, you're leaving in about, you know, I think tomorrow, the day after, like really soon. And I just not prepared, and this is the dumbest like request you've asked of me. Of course, it's an amazing idea. I'm going to go for the people, but definitely not for the sake of traveling. Like that was my mindset. I was a child. I was immature. I didn't really understand the concept of why people would travel uh, and spend so much money doing it. I didn't even have the money. I was a bartender, just graduated college, didn't really have a career, and I was committed to being a bartender for the rest of my life because I was actually having a lot of fun. And you know, I did have like the schedule. I could totally tell. The bars I was working for, like, you know what? I'm not, you know, don't need to, you know, come in and, you know, probably skip on up. But, you know, I, I like this girl. I kind of did check, you know, you know, the bathroom, to my cell phone, where the prices were. And they were like $2,000, $3,000 round trip. Wow. And I was like, hell no. Yeah, fuck that. Like, seriously, I come back and I was like, no, like, look, see, like, I like you this much. I did check, even though I didn't want to go. I did check and it's not worth it. And he kept pushing me until I relented. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll go if tickets are under $700. But I just said that to get them off my back. Just mm-hmm. as a joke. like a, mm-hmm. It was a flipping comment. So I'll go if tickets are under 700 Round trip, done. Stop bothering me. Let's keep drinking. Oh, we're drinking. And we kept drinking. And then we kept drinking. And they kept checking it. And it was still $2,000. It was $2,000. Went up to $2,500. And I was like, stop checking my phone. I need my phone back. It's running out of batteries. And then at like 4 o'clock in the morning, last call, paid the bill, get up and leave. And I literally was like, have a fun time in Egypt. I'm really glad this worked out. Everyone just... You know, go and send me photos, bring me back a rock, something, and give me my phone back. They checked again, still two thousand. I checked it again, still twenty five hundred dollars. Like you see, it's not happening. And they checked it one more time, six hundred and fifty dollars. Wow! And was it, it like, the same flight dropped that dropped because it was last minute, or what happened? 
It was no, I saw it was going on Skyscanner. Um, I was or the equivalent of Skyscanner. I think it was Kayak was the thing at the time. I think this was right before Skyscanner came out. But it was like just a reloading, like all like this the the third party website that takes the account all the you know budget airline mm-hmm. uh, or the you know like Bayama and Go Trip and trip, you know Go to Gate all the, those things collected together and they were trying to find all of them and listed all of them. And so it was just a bunch of different flights. I ended up. We, we were so, you know, alcohol helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they, it took that. Alcohol helps. So you make bad decisions. And at the time, that was the bad decision where we were like, whoa, $650. And I'm, at a, man, I'm a man of my word. Uh-huh. If I make a promise, I always follow through. I don't flake. And I bought it on the spot. Nice. It also I mean, sounds kinda, like it was fate. And it sounds like, the, you know, a great deal as well. I guess so. I mean, it was, it was, kind of, it also helps to have the autofill thing when you like type in the first letter of your name, the whole credit card information fills out by itself. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that hard. Uh, I bought on the spot and then I was like, there, I'm doing it. I'm done. And, and then the next memory I have is waking up the next morning to all these text messages to like my friends saying, like, you're going to go to Egypt. That was not a dream. We'll see you in Egypt. And they had left a few hours before me. They went on a different flight mm-hmm. and I went in a few hours after them. And I was told not to bring anything, not to pack anything. And by the t- when I arrived in Egypt, uh, they were they met me at the airport, and they were like, "Calvin got some bad news. There was a reason why your flights dropped so low." What? So what was going on nine to ten years ago in Egypt? Oh yeah, I think so you know my my sister had her honeymoon plan in Egypt at that exact time, and I think that's what happened. So to be very accurate and perfectly like honest, it wasn't like the thick of things, but it was like right around like it was the winter of 2010 where like things were kind of getting a little dodgy and. I think that could have been the reason, but either way, the plan was to travel with them for three weeks. I would never be alone because I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me. I didn't speak the language and I didn't prepare anything. I literally had to drop everything and go. I called my bars and I'm like, I'm not working. Um, $700, $650 is a, is, is a really good deal. And I thought I was going to be like housed and take, you know, everything will be like, you know, everything would be super cheap. Mm-hmm. They would get things for me there. I would get my backpack there. That was not the case. They came to the airport and they're like, Plans have changed. You're not going to be with us. You're going to be alone. Uh, one of the girls was going to join the protests. Um, the guy was like, "Well, my flight's changed, and it's kind of st- it's kind of dodgy right now. I have to go to Israel like a couple days early, so I can't be with you." And the girl was like, "My strict Indian family is not going to let me hang out with some boy I met at a bar. It's what? a family trip." So I was like, "All right, well, this is news to me." So I lived at the airport. They were like, "You got to go home. You got to change your flights and leave." And I was like, "I just got here," and that was the plan. Um, it ended that I would it would it would be that they would have one day together, and that's another story in itself. Where we ended up having an epic morning uh, by the pyramids, riding horses, uh, it, the sunrise with the sound of prayer in the background. It was like another story in itself that literally solidified my view on life. And we could go in that later, but it's essentially I was left alone, and I had to make a decision on day two whether to stay or go back home. Wow. So did this all happen in like New York airport, like JFK, or did this happen once you arrived in Egypt? Once I arrived in Egypt. So they, didn't, they let you get on that flight and they didn't tell you – they didn't explain all this stuff before you got on? Well, it's a long 16-hour flight. I, I, I think they found out as, as I was in the air. Oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah. They, didn't have, they didn't have Wi-Fi on Egypt Air at the time or it's still on now. That's crazy. But you, you know what? It's – it's one of those make it or break it moments, right? Because there was a good chance you could have just said, oh, screw all of you, F you, you made me fly out here for nothing, I'm going to get on the next flight home. Nah, man. I mean, I think I, I think from the Badass Asian News podcast that 
I explained, like, I've been through enough shit in my life, uh, the traumas, and even you mentioned in your episode where, you know, you've been through enough, you just, what, what you roll with the punches, you let it roll off of these things. The fact that I was in Egypt on a $650 round trip flight, you can either say, see that as like, what the fuck, in this entitlement. I'm not that person. I'm not going to be that chump where, like, I believe that things should be handed to me. Like, I'm just grateful to be alive and in a different place on a pretty awesome deal for a flight, a round trip flight last minute. And I, the way I saw it, the perspective I chose was, fuck yeah, like, I'm out of my element now. And, and they're my friends. Who am I? And I didn't blame them. So I, I just saw it as more like an opportunity. I mean, yes, this is this is how life is. You can choose. It's the same situation. This is situation A, and you can look at it as a situation A, or you can look at it from a different angle. It's X. It's actually a positive X, right? Yeah. And if you look at it from that, and you make an action based on that. That actually is the beginning of the rest of your life. I absolutely agree, and and I really believe that there are always two ways to look at something. I, my exactly. fir- my first trip to Thailand was actually very bad as well. I, I, I don't think I've ever even talked about it because it almost doesn't really matter that much now. Right. But when I went in 2007 or 2008, it, I didn't look at the weather and I was planning to move to this little island called Kotel to go scuba diving. And I arrived and it was the middle of a monsoon. Like, And nice. it was, you know, everybody was seasick on, on the boat, including myself. It was torture. We get there, the whole island is flooded. So all the restaurants are closed. It just like, it was terrible. We couldn't do anything, couldn't walk anywhere. So we left a few days later, went to Chiang Mai and there they, if something happened, I think it was some political crisis happened and they were like grounding flights and there was protest and, you know, all these things happening. And I remember the two girls I had met and I was traveling from Kotao to Chiang Mai with. They, the, the the two of them, but also every single other person in the hotel were just stuck to the news, just watching the news, thinking, oh my God, what's happening? What's the next flight? They're on hold of the airline, trying to get on the next, you know, the possible plane. Nobody had any information. And I said to them, I said, like, it doesn't seem like there's any immediate danger at all for us. We're, we're in a completely different city. Just use this as a great opportunity to extend your trip and travel more. Your boss is going to understand you know i'm sure they're gonna watch the news just if anything email them say hey watch the news i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be able to get home tomorrow and in my mind it seems so clear just to go enjoy ourselves but it seemed like everyone else just panicked and freaked out and that was them choosing you know option you know uh a versus looking at the bright side of option b right i mean i think we're getting heavy pretty fast here but it's kind of like david foster wallace when he wrote this is water that essay where you choose what to worship Right, mm-hmm. it's gonna. Life happens. Trauma happens. You, you. The, the thing on what makes us human, and what defines our lives, is we actually have the power to choose how to see things. It could be totally fake. It could totally be total delusion. Right, but for our well-being and our purposes and our future actions that do make an impact, I think what is important, I, and I believe what is important, is how we look at things, and we get to choose what we want to perceive in order to move forward. And you can either look at it in a positive way, or you can choose to be angry and be negative. And there's there's a little bit of both. I'm not saying you should always like you know take things lying down and try to you know you should stand up for things that are not right in a in a way that's com- you know it's confrontational if it's appropriate. But you the the, it, the crux is we have that power, right? If you really stop and think, you have the power to choose how you want to create your reality. Yeah, definitely. And actually, so I was looking at your your site and there was a kind of like a photo that really stuck out to me where it says mm-hmm. the average American. Spends fifteen dollars a day eating out. That's four hundred fifty dollars a month, including drinks. That's about six hundred to seven hundred fifty dollars a month. 
In two months, you can buy a ticket anywhere in the world. You can afford to travel. You're just too lazy to cook. Yeah. And, and by that math, technically the way I budget and the way I research my flights, flights, it's not every two months if you budget like that. It's every month. Yeah. I can find you a round-trip flight anywhere in the world for $700 or less. Yeah, it's insane. You know, it really is insane. Like, to cook. Yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. It definitely, it's just like people don't people don't know. It's like when I went to North Korea, people were like, "How did you go?" Like I thought it was impossible, or like anywhere. Like I just went came back from Afghanistan a month ago as a tourist, and like, "How did you go?" I thought I didn't know they would leave. It's like I googled it, I applied, I got my visa in a few days. It's like literally, if you don't look, you'll never you'll think it's impossible. All yeah. you have to do is look. People don't even bother even taking that first step, and they realize that it's not as hard as it seems. It's just we've been fed by everyone else in society and the media to believe that traveling is expensive and traveling is is not so, a lug, it, traveling is a luxury and not in an investment into our education and then people just you know grow up their entire lives believing that and that's the reality they choose to worship well one thing i always thought was really funny is how many girls i knew in you know back in college that had louis vuitton purses or like prada purses or, you know these expensive handbags but they would complained that they didn't have enough money to travel and i was like you're holding a round trip ticket right there in your hands like if you didn't buy that well, purse yeah, yeah. you could have went you could have went to paris for a week and yeah you know no, and, and yeah. No, 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 that's the thing that people that's all marketing you know realize like that's just all marketing we are marketed to believe that we should find value in material wealth material belongings rather than experiences so we put that before you know we put materials and our worth self-worth into things this stuff, right? This anti-Marie Kondo stuff where things that just clutter our lives, the things that you own end up owning you. And then secondly, into experiences. I, I really believe I, that. I, I really believe that. Thing. Yeah, it's marketing. It's all about marketing. And we just have to twinge the narrative and market to ourselves what is valuable to us. It's all marketing. You can convince yourself. If you convince yourself that Louis Vuitton bag is more worth it than a travel experience, then fine. That's that's what you choose to worship. That's, that's the, what you choose to believe in marketing. But you don't have to. You can aug augment your marketing you know, uh, reception into something where you believe that traveling is more worthwhile, much more of an investment in your self-worth uh, and your self-care than material belongings. It's, I, it's all within your power. Yeah, but I definitely think it's true. And I know it's true because I'm willing to bet that anyone, you know, when they're 80, 90, 100 on their deathbed, they're not going to care about that purse or that, you know, that material item that they owned when they were in their 20s or 30s. But they will remember that travel experience they had. Oh my God, that's the exact same speech that I say that you're you're on your deathbed and God or whatever energy you believe you believe in or yourself is going to ask you to really make the most out of your life. What are you going to remember? And you're going to remember the experiences. That you're not going to remember the nights where you got plenty of sleep or you saved up all this money to buy a bag or that you showed off your fancy car to somebody else. That it's not going to be as valuable as the person you met in a foreign country where you didn't speak the language, you fell in love. And you spent 24 hours together and you never saw them again. And those are the memories you're going to take with you to your deathbed. Those are the ones you're going to really make you feel. And I'll have every, so everyone who listens is like, oh, my God, this is so movie-like. Like, you really think it's going to happen to me? And I say, yes. I was a shy, awkward kid with a starter who couldn't even you know, go to the beach because I was scared of the water, taking off my shoes and stepping into the sand, let alone talking to people. And I've had that happen to me. It's like one of the most popular entries on my blog where I ran to somebody in India and had a before sunrise before sunset kind of that's those are movies moment and you know exchange it, it, it was it's it's I don't want to spoil it look for it 
it has happened to me, those movie experiences, and it has happened to the people I've taken on these trips. I've left people in countries where they fell in love and stayed there for a year, and I would come back the year after to pick them up again uh, because they had to say goodbye and finish you know, their school. But like they had those experiences. Those movies, things can't happen to you, has happened to my peers, and it's not just a select group of people. It can happen to even the shyest, most awkward kid who listened to Corn and Limp Biscuit and never like it, it was a big it was the only Star Wars fan and never really had any friends until he was like 15. That's me. Yeah, I mean, I guess if nothing else, when we travel when we're somewhere else, not only are we in a new location, but we're really looking at life like through different lenses. We're more open minded for new experiences. You know, we're forced in situations where we have to you know talk like we have to talk to people that we normally would maybe would be too uncomfortable to try to talk to but also it's just kind of like you're you know you're excited you want to have experiences and when you're open to that you know magic magical things happen right i I think traveling what happens is that you also take yourself away from your day-to-day routine back at home and it's kind of like stepping away nose close to a a painting right Mm. and you step away and you actually see the entire painting when you travel you see your life back home from a bird's eye view perspective and realize all the shit home is so small from far away. It's kind of like how astronauts when they leave Earth and they see Earth as a small, pale blue dot. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Humanity isn't this like small little thing. Why are we fighting? Why are we? That's why it's so magical because you're, it's literally an out of body experience seeing things from a different perspective from that angle. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think if anything else, like if nothing else, when we're in our routine, we're walking around with our AirPods and our, you know, or headphones on. We're not looking at people. We're not smiling. We're just going through our daily routine, so we don't really leave any room for wanderability, you know, conversation even. But when we're in another country, you know, very seldom are we walking around with our headphones on, like with our eyes closed. You know, we're looking around, we're excited. Hey, it's uh, it's the fact that uh, everything seems so new, right? What what is our what our memories and our perception of time is that when we do the same thing over and over and over again, routines, time just goes by really quickly because our brain actually. This is me, the, the doctor mode coming in. Your brain filters out repetition. So to you, like that, that route trip back, like that, you know, that car trip to somewhere, that when you go there initially, it feels like forever. But when you come back, you're like, it feels like nothing. Your brain literally filtered that out. And that's why it's like, oh, like we're here. But when you travel, your brain is like new experiences. And that's why one to two days in a foreign country feels like a week or two weeks. And that's your brain working for you. That's why people feel so young still when they travel so much like that's why they look so young that's why they are so blessed and blissful is because their brain is actually it's a brain chemistry thing when they're perceiving life in a more expanded view of time and experiences we're getting really meta here yeah i like it but okay so on i guess on that point so you are a legitimate doctor you're you're a licensed medical doctor working in er is that correct yes how do you like and you because then you did this while going through residency and also med school, which is like even if you never do anything else, it's like it's it's torture. I mean, I've had friends. I actually had a friend who went to med school in New York, and I I never saw him. He was always busy. You know, my cousin's at ER doctor. She's always busy. She doesn't have time to, to travel. Like, how? Why did you even make it a priority? It's habits. It's how you start things off. If you grew up never believing that you have to brush your teeth. Or if you never, if you grew up never potty trained, and then all of a sudden you have to learn it when you're like 20 or 30, it's going to be much harder for you as a 20, 30 year old to learn to brush your teeth twice, two times a day, or pee in the toilet. Now, that's the same with how you start medical school. 
all right? If you go into it believing everyone else telling you you shouldn't travel, you shouldn't take time off, you should focus 100%, and you could be prepared to you know, say goodbye to all your friends and never see them again and not go to any of the birthday parties that you're invited to, because that's how you survive medical school, and that's what you believe, that's the reality you worship, and that is the habits you start to make. And it becomes easier and easier to say no to experiences if you start off that way, mm. right? Now, I start off medical school because I lost a bet. Same thing with the whole how I traveled the first time. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a doctor. I did it because I wanted to prove to myself that I wasn't meant to be a doctor. I went in believing that I was not supposed to go in. and I expected to be rejected everywhere because I had a below average score, below average GPA, and I wasn't even taking it that seriously. And it was like, I mean, those of you who are listening who don't know my story, my dad wanted me to become a doctor. My mom wanted me to become a doctor. My, my dad died and my mom got sick. I was actually free to do whatever I wanted. I mean, it was a very traumatic time in my life. I was completely like by, on my own at the age of 18, but I chose not to be a doctor without, and it, it, the whole Asian narrative, Asian American narrative is like, oh, I'm gonna fight against the stereotype. I don't wanna be an Asian doctor. Like we all say like, you know, don't just be a doctor or lawyer, you know, you're so much more than that. And that was one of them. But then I realized, and this is the problem with thinking, is that to not become something because of a stereotype, because of a narrative, you're letting it win. Mm -hmm. You're letting the narrative and oh, Asians, all Asians are doctors thing that so frustrates you. You're letting it control your life still. You're doing something because of that. You're, or in my case, you're not doing something because of that. I didn't want it to have power over me. I didn't want my father, my dead father, to control me for the rest of my life that I was rebelling against him for the rest of my life for not being a doctor. What if I'm actually meant to be one? And this going roundabout logic, going back and forth, like you know the poison cup scenes from Princess Bride, which one is the real poison? I had no idea which was the real me. That's why I applied, hoping that I would get rejected everywhere, check that box off, and be done with the decision, and I was fine with that. But then when I got in, which was a whole like holy shit moment, like shit, I did not expect to get in at all. They were trying to something different. They wanted like, different kind of doctors to go to, uh, to you know, start the next generation of medicine where we're more people than, uh, and don't know how to talk to people rather than study from books all the time. I was one of those experiments. I was the <laughs> imposter. And they were like, hey, we're trying something different. That's why you got it. I'm like, great, now I have to like follow through. Remember I said earlier, I don't flake. If I make a promise, I follow through. And I got into medical school, I need to make the most out of it. I'm not gonna take this for granted. I know so many, so many people would kill to be in my shoes right now. I feel so guilty actually getting in with that attitude. Mm. I'm not gonna squander it. So that's why when I start off medical school, it was the attitude of I don't deserve, will make, give it the best shot I can. And that being said, I also will not sacrifice my humanity to get to this point. Now remember, I got into medical school, shit academic records and test scores. I got in because of the strength of my character and the things I did on the side that was not medicine. The whole leadership that I, I decided to continue my medical school experience by keeping to those non-academic activities. I would not sacrifice my social justice uh, activities I was involved in. I would not sacrifice the filmmaking or the dancing I was doing. I would keep doing those things and I'd rather fail out of medical school and still maintain my humanity than to quit everything that made me who I am, forget how to be a good person, become a doctor, and then try to relearn how to be a good person again. So just like your friends that you never saw again went to medical school, they put a pause, they postponed their life, hoping that when, by the time they become a doctor, they would have the time to regain everything they've lost. And I don't believe in that. You could get hit by a car tomorrow, and that's it. Everyone will remember you as the person who went to medical school and <laughs> forgot who their friends were, and then no one heard from them again until 
you know, he got hit by a car. Yeah, well, that I mean, sucks. I had a friend who got breast cancer. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, no, I had a friend who had breast cancer. She died in like within a month, uh, right before she got into medical school. And I was like, that could be me. That's crazy. You know? So and even that's if you I don't went to medical school, thing. yeah. Even if someone doesn't die, like people don't realize that when you finish, it's not like you have all this free time all of a sudden. Like you have exactly. <laughs> probably even more responsibilities in your life. Oh, I'll travel when I, you know, finish first year. I'll travel when I finish medical school. I'll travel when I get a promotion. I'll travel when I. If you keep thinking like that, you'll never travel. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be married with kids, doing the whole what society told you to do, and then you'll look back, and then you're gonna say, "Shit, what have I done?" That's postponing. Yeah. So I went into medical school. Always living, always living the moment, living now. If I had any weekend off, I would travel. Like, so what, what, was, yeah. what were some of those trips like in the beginning that your first year uh, of medical school, where did you go? Uh, so the first week already, I had to go to San Diego for a wedding. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, people do that. Then the first month, I found a $400, $500 round trip flight to Hong Kong on a whim. Mm-hmm. And then I remember thinking I would be stupid especially after what happened in Egypt, to not take this up. So I went to Hong Kong for 20, uh, 12, 20 hours. Okay. 12 to 20 hours. Uh, and I came. I left Friday night, JFK, came back Sunday late night, right before class on Monday. And then when wow. it I was like, oh my God, like this is possible. The Pandora's box was open. And I would travel uh, to anywhere I can get. I went to Iran for a week uh, between exams. Uh, and I went to uh, Spain and Morocco, I took 10 people with me, uh, Peru and Colombia for about four or five days. I would just make things work. You know, wow. anytime that I didn't have class, like there were definitely required classes, I would definitely go to all of them. I never skipped any classes that were required. I didn't want to get kicked out for no reason. I still did my best 100%, mm-hmm. but if there was, it was not required, I would leave two to three, three to four days at a time. And I would were, find were you, ways. Yeah, were you able to yeah. study or do your, your homework during that time? Man, if you study on an airplane or in a foreign country, your brain retains information so much better than if you were studying the same damn library with the same books and cabinets around you. Your brain just, everything becomes a blur. Your brain doesn't know what to you know, store. It's like this massive amount of information in the same environment. Your brain is actually better uh, able to retain memory if you study in different environments, even if you lose time moving from environment to environment. The New York Times actually publicized a huge study um, so that brain can store information much more efficiently. And that's what I do with travel. Yeah, and I guess when you're on a plane... But I didn't do well. Okay, um, but I mean, at the same time... I didn't like, do well at medical school. I failed out. <laughs> I yeah. failed out a couple times. But you so, eventually passed. You, but you passed. You, you didn't You didn't actually fail out. No, I didn't actually fail out. I, I, there was one point where I was threatened to get kicked out or had to repeat a year. And if I had to repeat the year, I was just like, I'm done. Like, there's no way I can, like... It was like right at the point where I was supposed to take the licensing exams in the middle of medical school. Step one is what we call it. Step one out of three. And I had to, was told that I had to re- remediate a class if I had failed it. And if I couldn't pass the remediation, I would have to repeat the year and I wouldn't have to take the licensing exams. And now I'm done at that point. And it, every time – and I almost – I barely passed it. But the issue was that it said – they always said it wasn't good enough to go to the next level. But every time they told me that I was prepared to you know, now travel – full time and leave medical school, they always pull me back in and said, well, you know what? You're class president. You travel so much. You're an inspiration to wellness to all of our classmates. We love you. You've done so much for the school. You technically didn't fail. You're 67.56, which is below the passing grade of 68, but we'll round you up. (laughs) 
but you'll never get into residency. And I was like, that's more than what I bargained for. So thank you. I'll take, I'll take that. And every time I got kicked out because of traveling, I got sucked back in because of the traveling. Wow. That's ironic. Yeah. So it's, it's, you got to really trust yourself, right? The things that people fault you for are the same things that you will uh, succeed because of. Well, let me ask you this. It, let's say it didn't go your way. They, they didn't round you up and you, you know, really were kicked out. They said, sorry, you, your grades aren't good enough. Like, that's it. Would you have regretted it? What, like, what would you have done? I don't know, man. It didn't happen. I think I went into the attitude. Remember what we say? We choose what to worship. I think right at that moment when I actually honestly thought they were not going to take me back or I was going to fail out in that June of uh, 2011, 2012, I saw it as like, you know what? This is good. This will be my Anna Wintour, Oprah uh, moment where somebody has to fail big before they succeed. And this will be my big failure. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, this is my story. I failed out of medical school. Everyone's going to love that story. But then right as I thought that, and I was ready to walk away, they called me in and they was like, just give it a chance. We'll take you back in, take the remediation test. And apparently I passed it. I don't know how. And then I took my licensing exams and I, I kind of actually almost failed. It. They were like that, that your score, your licensing exam was way too low to get, become a doctor, but it's passing. It's just, <laughs> you're not competitive. And I just—it's basically every every day was a more of attrition. The next step, the next step, the next step, fail, 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 get back up again. And it wasn't even that bad. This, I remember, like, I didn't see this as a bad thing. I was so privileged. I just kept all the whole time. My attitude was, I am so privileged to even have this opportunity. Like, these are first world problems that I'm worried about. This. There are people who can't feed their families, who have no roofs over their head, who are going through war. Uh, I went to. I was in Egypt during a very testy moment, and they're in their history like that's real shit and i'm like here worried about like am i gonna live a life of travel or am i gonna be a doctor like there are worse things to be worried about so that's how i went into it just so grateful to even have a fighting chance yeah i can definitely see that so i I think a lot of people are probably wondering how did you pay for these trips i I know you were finding cheap flights but like you know how were you even coming up with the 500 dollars and then the money you would spend when you when we get to these places well first of all i'm not too lazy to cook i like cooking and I saved a lot of money on eating however I also love eating out and that was tough because living in New York City food is not cheap especially even groceries to cook but I definitely tried to cook as much as I could uh, I actually made a I was kind of savage uh, being the the student that I was it was something I picked up in college and I even went back to my alma mater where I went for undergrad uh, I went to school uh, college in New York City and there would be these spreadsheets me and my friend would make on all the free food events in the medical school, the university campus, and my college. And we, I would go to all of them with Tupperware and be a savage. And it's just like how we take all the napkins in restaurants and all the cutlery in restaurants that are free. <laughs> Did that with food, all right? And I would sublet my apartment when I was away, Craigslisted, have someone you know, visiting New York pay a couple thousand for the week or two weeks just to stay there and then last minute stuff. And I would budget my trip so that would be much cheaper than whatever they were paying for. So I ended up making money while traveling because who's going to stay in my place when I'm away anyway? They paid for my rent and for you know my time being away. Um, that was in the my some, that was what I did sometimes. Uh, yeah. I, got, I got paid tutoring in my medical school. I tutored people. I did public speaking. I would go to schools and tell people how I was doing it while getting paid honorariums. I did a variety of odd jobs. I would, you know, bartending is one of the most useful skills you can do. You can work anywhere, anytime. Every time you need a couple hundred dollars in a pinch, you bartend. Find a bar, 
work off of tips. You can get $200, $300 if you're fast enough and good enough and serve enough customers. And that's what I did. I learned how to be the best damn bartender I could be. Wow. So I would just hit, like, I need a trip. And then also, I was also, uh, ooh, I don't know about if, if I recommend this because I'm paying this off right now. But I, I'm now, now that I'm a doctor, it's not like too terrible of a burden. But I took out more student loans to travel. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I maximized my, I went to the, uh, the school and I was like, I need more money for books. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't even I didn't own a book. In my, you know, it was all digital for me. Uh, I, and the money for books, I went, I put into my travel. What was, was your, for my what was your total student loan debt when you finished? Two hundred and thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. Oh my god, that's insane. So I'm, I'm at one forty thousand now, um, and it's only been eleven months of being a doctor, so it's not bad. Like I'm, I'm paying off pretty quickly. I refinanced to one point nine five percent, which is below the return of if you do investments mm-hmm. in the stock market ETF. So I don't have to pay it off too quickly anymore. Okay, so this is nice. Okay, so there's another question. I'm assuming that, like most professions, you know, the the, the grades you get in school don't actually ref- reflect how good you are at that job. I'm assuming that even though you you know you barely passed the grade, like the the study portion, like have you figured out a way to learn how to be a good doctor? Oh my god! Like I always joke that I'm the worst doctor in the world because I like almost failed all my tests and I was a terrible standardized test taker and my GPA was terrible and I was ranked bottom half of my class. In medical school, and I was the, I lived by the mantra of P equals MD, pass equals MD. Um, and the ironic thing is, I was still class president. I got reelected class president, and I was even though I almost got kicked out a few times in residency for just my capriciousness and uh, my focus more on travel than patient care. I ended up being a chief resident. Wow! And, and right now, I work only per diem at nine hospitals in New York City. Like I'm credentialed everywhere. I don't think any, one of the, I'm one of very, very few doctors who do this because every doctor, once they graduate school, don't know, you know, they've been in school their entire life. It's very tough to adults, so it's very easy to sign a full-time contract just to, you know, minimize the, the, the path of, you're basically the path of least resistance to sign a full-time contract because you spend your entire life schooling and schooling and schooling. For me, you know, I was a little different. I tried to see the world in a different way and I tried to work only per diem and I still work only per diem, no full-time contract. And I actually work, you know, uh, on a full-time basis. I can work, but I can work anytime I want. And I got promoted to a clinical professor as a per diem. That's unheard of. Wow. And I'm the supervisor for all the big city races in New York City within like two to three months of starting to volunteer just so, by sheer force of like how I am with people. So for well, a lot of people who don't might not understand the, those terms, with a lot of jobs – like uh, you can get paid more money and have more flexibility, not being a full-time employee. I think the reason why people like to be full-time employees is you get some more kind of benefits, but also it's more. It's really is stability. People are willing to lose out on a lot of things to have stability in their lives, knowing that they're going to have a steady paycheck, knowing they're going to have like a steady job. Versus when you're, let's say, a contractor, you can get paid a lot more money. And have a lot more flexibility, but you don't have that stability. And it's probably the same as kind of a not like a freelance doctor, but like a like a floating doctor, per diem doctor, right? Right. It's it's kind of like reading the market. If there was an outgrowth of supply for doctors and very little demand, I wouldn't probably would be would to do this. Maybe I still would. I, I don't know, and be okay with the lower pay. But 
right now that isn't the reality. Reality is reading the markets as there is a shortage of doctors right now. There are a lot of openings in underserved and underprivileged communities, which is what I believe in serving. Like I only want to help. Um, and this is my, my background in social justice and progressive rights uh, movement is that I always want to help the I always believe in giving as you go. Right? It's not about giving back. Like I don't want to wait until I'm successful and then give back. I want to give as I go. Uh, everywhere a little success I am, even though I'm not at top of the food chain, I would still try to pull the person um, behind me up with me. And that's what I see myself doing is there's so many openings right now where hospitals are desperate for doctors in underserved, underprivileged inner city communities. And that is where I fill in those holes as best as I can. And, and yes, as you're, you're right, as an independent contractor, they don't have to pay for your benefits. Therefore, they pay you actually more per hour uh, on a per diem basis. And for me, I don't need that many much benefits. I don't have a family yet, and I'm grateful to not having too many health problems. So covering health insurance and dental vision is actually you know, not too bad as everyone thinks it is. And finally, security. Yes, I don't have the security blanket of a full-time job and a full-time contract. As much as I can drop a job and not work for a hospital I don't like, they can do the same to me. But because there's a shortage, the reality is anything but. I have too many openings to choose from. And I'm reading the waves right now. If there comes to be a time where there are too many doctors, yeah, then maybe I'll, I'll roll with the punches and try to you know, do something a little more full-time. But then by then, Johnny, I would have worked at nine, 10 hospitals around the city. I know exactly which one to marry, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like dating, mm. right? After a one-hour interview, people would just want to become boyfriend and girlfriend because they're so scared of being alone. It's a security blanket. But is that really good for you? Is security always good for you? Or yeah. is it's, gro- it's, what is it's, growth? Yeah. yeah, growth is doing something different. I'm being uncomfortable. So I don't want to get married after a first date. I need to date around different people to know which one's right for me. And then after three to four years, when I'm a little older and wiser and everyone's being picked up or whatever, and I kind of am ready to settle down or I'm just more tired and don't enjoy the per diem life, I already have known who is the one after actual lived experience. And that's yeah. how I feel about traveling. Yeah, it definitely makes traveling. sense. Hey, bosses, I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Wanted to take a quick break to tell you more about the Nomad Summit. The one in Cancun is coming this October, 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th. It's going to be four days of fun in the sun, a reason to have tequila and tacos, beachside Mexico. And the reason why we chose Cancun is because it's an easy flight from anywhere in the U.S. and also a lot of Europe. So go to nomadsummit.com and you can see tickets for the Cancun event coming this October, 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th, 2019. And if you want more information about the upcoming Chiang Mai conference, that's going to be January 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th, 2020. Go to nomadsummit.com and you can click on Chiang Mai 2020 up in the top right or take a look at the page for more information about the Cancun event. We would love to have you. We have some amazing speakers. If you like this podcast, you want to meet some of the previous guests, fellow listeners, and learn what's currently working to either start or scale up your online business, definitely come to the conference. It's one of my favorite things I do every year because the people that you meet at these paid events that fly all the way out to either Mexico or to Thailand, these people are serious. These people are very open and willing to help. So if you want to learn how to grow your business, make more money online, and be able to travel the world, definitely come out to the Nomad Summit. I hope to see you there. And so speaking of travel, so you've been to some really random but interesting places. So I was reading on your about page. So during your, was is it the four years of med school? Like how many countries did you go to during that time? During medical school, I went to 70, traveled to 70 countries. That's and then insane. during residency, 
four years later. Yeah. Four, and during that four years of residency, 80 countries. So 150 total. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. And like really yeah. random places as well, like Pakistan, you know, Barbados, North Korea, Armenia, yeah. Arctic, Azerbaijan, like places I've never even heard of before. Um, like what is – why? I mean I guess that's the question is like how do you pick places and why, why do you travel so much? It's like that Egypt story, how you start out. It can define the rest of how you do things for the rest of your life. So it's kind of like you know losing your virginity the first time is a big deal and defining your views on sex and sexuality. The same thing when I lost my virginity with tra- traveling solo was those three weeks in Egypt where I had to – I found myself in a place that was totally random. That was the way I traveled, like pick a place totally random just because of a good price and three friends being there. It didn't matter the place, the people that were going and the value that I saw in it. I could not judge a place until I got there. And right in the moment where I had to decide whether to stay or leave, I ended up deciding on a whim to stay for the next three weeks alone in Egypt. And during those three weeks, I actually ran into the girl that I met at the bar with her family, made her family love me, took her on a first date around Cairo alone until like from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. the next morning, dropped her off by their parents. Her parents actually really liked me so much, they actually asked me to show them around for the rest of the day. So I pulled a 36-hour over. Uh, thing and that is my first travel experience man like that was it so of course my attitude for the rest of these countries was going to be i don't care where it is i'm just going to go for the experience and for the value as long as it's a good value and the prices are good it's like a buffet how would you know what you like unless you try everything a little bit of everything yeah and so that includes- you know later which ones to go back to when you're fuller and have diabetes and you have to be a little more <laughs> a little more like picky on choosing what you have to eat. But by then, you have eaten everything and tasted everything. Ethiopia, Kenya, Malawi, Mozambique, Swaziland, Lesotho, so, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Nambia. Like these are like places I, I would guarantee that most listeners have never even heard of, yet alone been to. But I think they're all personal to me in some way. Like, for example, the first uh, country you listed was Pakistan. So that was actually not as random as people like to believe. I, uh, outside looking in, definitely. But at the time, I my girlfriend, I had, I was dating uh, a, a girl. She was half Pakistani, half Filipino, and her cousin on the Pakistani side invited me to dance and choreograph for her wedding in Lahore, in Pakistan. Who am I to say no to that? Right? Like, who am I to turn that down? She, her cousin, found out that I danced uh, Bhangra. I lost a bet and ended up joining. Uh, a lot of South Asian dance teams in college. So I picked up on a lot of that stuff. I lose bets often. And, and that's why I do these things. That's why I lose bets. To, to I don't know where it would lead, but it would lead to opportunities. And I know now, like speaking on this podcast, this is one of them, right? Being Even being here and talking to you was an amalgamation of decisions I made that I had no idea what the impact would lead to. And that's Pakistan, right? Yes, it may seem random on why I choose these countries, but if it's anything but... Right, her cousin found out I like to dance. I like to choreograph dance. Wouldn't it be cool to have a foreigner in Pakistan to surprise everyone? And why not invite him? And who am I to say no to that? And of yeah. course, I said yes. That just sounds so, pretty fun. I, I would do that too. So that's like that's like an example of all the countries actually that I go to. There's some little thing that just led me inadvertently there. Okay. I think um, every other country, there's something like, oh, my friend is in that area and he's inviting me for a be- Iraq. Right. I went to Iraq last May, like five months after ISIS fell. Obviously, everyone's like, you're crazy, you're mm-hmm. irresponsible, right? And I was like, again, I can't ju- judge a place unless I've been there. I don't want to just judge based on Western media. And I'm in Iraq, actually, because my friend happens to be there from 
uh, a friend that I know from uh, the Netherlands, and he was like, hey, Calvin, want to join me for a beer? Are you free? And I said, actually, I am free that week. There's no reason why I cannot go to Iraq to have a beer with you and you're inviting me. Remember, I don't flake, right? And the flights were very cheap. So, you know, that's, I don't want to go to my deathbed, as you said, and look back. And I was like, well, I could have went to Iraq, but I bought a nice handbag, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, to be honest, like the, this type of, you know, really kind of fast, almost extreme, like traveling, it really isn't for me. Like I, I'm the exact opposite. I like to go places, you know, kind of settle down for three months at a time, really kind of take my time. But I respect what you do because I can see, you know, you're this, you're living your life. Like this, I can, I can see that this makes you happy. This, and this is exciting for you. And I think there's a lot of listeners that might resonate exactly with this. They might be thinking, well, you know, I have a corporate job or have, you know, I'm also a doctor or I'm a lawyer or something. And I, and I can't go to places for two, three months at a time and do the slow travel or be a digital nomad, but I still want to see the world. And you're just showing them that anything's anything's possible. Yeah, I, I think I re- if I had a choice, Johnny, I would be doing what you're doing. I wish I could take time off to explore country thoroughly for three months at a time. However, I love New York City too much. Mm. And I do so many things that make me happy in New York City. Remember, I'm still, John, I'm still that shy, awkward, Cornland Biscuit fan, too scared to talk to people, too introverted. I'm now more comfortable putting myself out there. I actually enjoy it now. I have no issues talking to people, but that's because it's years and years of pushing myself, pushing myself. But I'm still that kid who loves New York City so much. I still find traveling when I think about it, oh my God, I gotta go. But it's now like brushing my teeth. It's good for me, I have to do it. And once I do it, I'm grateful I've done it. Now, because of all the things in New York City I have to do, like I, I, do, do, I, I do do a little bit of real estate, so I you know, kind of have to be here for that. I do have, I love my job as a doctor. And I love working in New York City and in the ERs here. I have a lot of friends here. Like I stay in New York. And, a lot of people who you know are listening to this, they also may feel the same way. Like, I don't want to leave my family, my friends. I don't want to leave too far. You know, it would be nice to live three months at a time. My proposition is instead of choosing one or the other, why not do both, right? In the in the totality, as you said in your podcast, sometimes you do get tired after being you know traveling too much. Sometimes you you know burn out a little bit and then you know go back and you know I think it's important to visit family or get your roots back. And for me, like. The amalgamation of how much I travel in the year is three to four months a year, right? I travel so often that two weekends or you know a week at a time or two weeks at a time do add up to about three to four months a year. And I don't feel like I've ever left New York City because I travel to so many places so quickly. It's kind of like the buffet analogy. I, I'm young still. I don't have any medical problems yet. You know, I'm not diabetic. I'm not, I don't have high blood pressure yet. I'm you know, in my early 30s. I should go approach a, a buffet and eat every single goddamn thing in the buffet as <laughs> little bit as quickly as possible, including the desserts, including the high fructose crap that's going to be bad for me. Because if I, you know, only spend one time on the, if I only spent like three hours on the oxtail and ignore the rest, I could be missing out on the freaking lobster. But I don't know if I focus too much on the oxtail. So I try a little bit of everything. Definitely not thoroughly exploring as much as you have. But then I feel like when I'm 40 or 50, when I have way more money, but then I have diabetes and a bad heart, I know exactly which ones to you know, focus on and enjoy because of an actual experience. And that's just my way of selling you know, this lifestyle to people who are not quite sure. Everyone is so black and white, A or B, A, B testing and whatever. I say, why not do both? 
why not? Why can't there be a C option? I mean, yeah. it's not always, but it's just something to consider because you don't want to look back and feel like you missed out on C. Mm. Well, I think a lot of like a lot of people, the, their problem is that they don't choose A, B, or look for a C. They just say, "Oh, well, that's not for me because X, you know, whatever excuse or reason," and they just don't do anything. Excuses? Yes. No. That's another thing. Yeah, you're you're even you're totally right. And beyond that, there's people don't even choose. They just do Z, which is the thing that everyone tells them they should do. You should get a job, you should get married, and you should have kids. This traveling thing, that's just a luxury. You do that when you're like retired, right? When you're old and have diabetes and high blood pressure and you're too old to even travel, you should travel. That's when you should travel. That's Z. That's what everyone believes they have to do. And that's the path of least resistance. And again, we go back to the whole Louis Vuitton handbags. That's the marketing. That's our society telling us. You know, when we grow up, our parents tried to teach us what is good and what's wrong in their view. They're trying to protect us, but their love language may not be what we're meant to do. They're, they have good intentions, it's security, but sometimes security is not what we need. And once we leave the nest, we're so habitually you know, defined towards by you know, the things that we grew up in, we always stick to security. And it's not until something traumatic or some huge humongous feat of self-awareness that very few of us have, where they are able to finally challenge themselves, break themselves out of the comfort, comfortable habits that they grew up with, and then choose something that's like totally foreign and uncomfortable. And it's either something super traumatic, where somebody had to die, or you get broken up with, or you lose your job, where you're like, fuck this, and you do something different. But that might not happen to everyone, and I don't wish that on people. I don't want people to go through traumas. That's horrible to wish that on my friends and loved ones, but that's what it takes. Or you could take this time, maybe you're listening to this, you know, to listen to our stories and say, you know what, enough is enough. You are young enough to take a risk right now. Those are the people I have the most respect for. When everything's so, going so well for them, and they have the courage to eat, to see, despite it being going so, it being so, you know, hunky dory, they can actually say no to that and quit things and start their lives in a different route. Yeah, you, you know, me, that, that's funny. Of- like what, what, like what you had just mentioned. You would think that, like, rationally or logically, when things are going well and they're not stressed, there's no big fires in their life, that's actually when they should, you know, pause everything and, and travel a bit and do the things that they've always wanted to do because there's less of a risk. Yet, that's not, you know, when people are comfortable and things are going okay, that's not when people take big chances. <laughs> it's when things are going terrible and they're like, you know what, yeah. I'm broke, I lost my job, I'm going to spend the last, you know, $1,000 in my bank account <laughs> on this on this trip because I have nothing else to lose. But wh- like, why not do that when you have the extra $1,000 or you have stability? Right. It's kind of like the stock market, right? It's kind of like Fight Club and the opposite extreme of things. When things are going too well, people make you know, get com- too comfortable. Or in Fight Club, when things are going horribly wrong, that's when you take a stand in your life and do something epic. And I'm a product of trauma. Like The things I do in my life are a result of something that happened to me when I was really young and I was like, holy shit, I have to like, you know, make up, uh, make up for it. But then I said, like, you know what? This is the opportunity to like break some habits and you have nothing to lose. So fuck it. And did everything opposite, right? I could have went one way or the other, but that was an opportunity. I have so much respect for people who trauma has yet to happen to them. And yet they still have the courage to look at something good and say, you know what? I don't need this anymore. Let me try to take a risk despite the fact I'm not sure if I'm capable of doing that. And I, that's why I make a habit of even when I have what I have right now in New York and I have finished medical school and residency, I'm a full-time doctor, I'm still taking risks and you know traveling as much as I can, not always having to work and try to buy fancy things, but rather constantly create a habit of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. 
And I think, you know, whoever's listening, whatever situation you're in, if you're happy, if you're genuinely happy, then you've made it. So congratulations. But if you're not happy, you wish you can travel, you could wish you can do this, or you wish you can do that, don't bitch about it. <laughs> like there's so many ways to do it. And that's why I have this podcast. And that's why I bring on people like Calvin, who even though uh, like his travel, like your travel methods are so different than mine. I like showing people that there are different ways to live this life. You know, like your business is completely different than mine. You know, your, your lifestyle is completely different, but it just shows that even on both extremes, there's something for everyone. And, and I guarantee every single person listening, you're reasons or the, your hardships or your circumstances are not as unique as you think. I think we all have reasons or excuses, but I think that's what they are. I mean, I think, I think, I really right. think that everyone has, has excuses and there's always a way around no it. Matter, yeah. No matter how different we do things, Johnny, I think we're in the same family. You have the same mindset and philosophy. And I was listening to your episode and I mean, this is like a love fest here going on, but like, it's really true that, uh, that you and I, have the same goal we just have different ways of doing going about it with the same attitude and that's fine that's how we're going to win this war uh for asian american war again when i mean war, i mean like this whole like asian americans standing up for themselves being self-aware and creating coalitions and being positive um just like you know this this good war you know that we need to get out of this notion that we're constantly victims and I, and I do and I'm, I'm a progressive uh, rights activist I'm you know social justice activist from day one Vincent Chin and Asian Americans being you know you know standing on the shoulders of uh, black rights and the black rights struggle and that we should like be working together now the issue with that was that when I was doing it was yes there were a lot of conferences and forums where people highlighted the issues and the problems which I thought was so valuable but then the next step was like but what are you gonna do about it what are you gonna do about it and people didn't have a, uh, a solution. They knew they what, what they wanted to change, but there's no concrete plan. And I think over the years, we now have actual fruits of people's struggles when they're going like, I now see the problem, let's do it my own way. I'm gonna do it my own way. And yeah, the hardships are the people who criticize the way you're doing things. Oh, you're doing it wrong, or you and your privilege you know, is only getting you that far, and so on and so forth. And that's great, Like we need that feedback, but only those strong, who are self-aware, who are able to look them look at themselves in the mirror. It's like, I know what I'm capable of, and I can take the criticisms and turn something good out of it. I do appreciate that people care this much and see the good in it, so I can keep doing it my own way. That's what leads to what we have today, where there's such a big you know, improvement in, uh, and there's so much, there's still work to do, but there's so much of an improvement in our fortunes as Asian Americans and Asian American men, uh, and you know, in a holistic, positive way. We're not putting other people down. We're not criticizing women. We're not feeling entitled to anyone or anyone's bodies or identities. We're doing it our own way because it makes us happy. And at the same time, token, we're not ignoring the people um, behind us. Yeah. We want to bring them up as well. I, I'm a big, so I'm a big believer that if we all just be the best version of ourselves, you know, regardless of our backgrounds, our, you know, our race, our ethnicity, or our, our gender, if we just like everyone's just the best version of themselves. Eventually, everything works itself out. And to be honest, Absolutely, I'm actually, yeah. I'm actually really glad I'm not living in the U.S. right now because there's so much going on. And I actually had to stop listening to the Joe Rogan experience, even though sometimes I really like his guests. It's because it, get, you know, it gets me like outraged sometimes on on all the you know the things happening. And I'm like, oh man, I am so glad I can just kind of ignore most of these problems and just live my own life. You know, be sometimes even being in countries where they don't speak English. 
I'm just like, this is nice. Like, I don't hear any anyone's problems, and I can just just you know be the best version of myself as I can. Yeah, without the distractions, I mean, good for you, man. I really am happy for you that you're able to have like the courage to you know, step to know like this is what you need and step away because so many people don't know that and they get just circle the drain of you know not being aware that they need to get away from it. I mean, why do you think I travel so much? I mean, every other weekend I'm leaving on a three week trip to Eastern Africa, leading a group of ten people in about two or three days. And I mean, like, I need this. Like, I'm, I, otherwise I'm going to burn out. However, you know, for me, like, you know, I, you know, I are different too, that I love the fight. I love getting involved. I love rolling on my sleeves and getting into the trenches of, you know, fighting for progressive rights and, uh, you know, doing what I can do in the you know, behind the scenes as a privileged Asian American physician, um, with all my privilege and, you know, and fortunes, I need to do something with it. And I feel like, you know, if I left for too long, I would just feel like, oh, like restless. You know, I want to like, you know, fight the good fight. And we all need to recharge. Because for me, like I'm stepping away for three weeks. Like I got to, you know, tune out. And I do this every month. So it's not like I'm always there. But like we got to take care of ourselves first before taking care of other people. Okay. That definitely makes sense. I, I definitely agree with that. Okay. So two random, really random questions. One is you spend so much time on planes. Do you now, do you dread getting on a plane? Or are you still excited to be on it? That's a great question. You know, there were some times last year where I was like, fuck, I'm on a plane again. Like, God damn it. Like, you know, first world problems for sure. Like I was like punching myself. Like what, what's wrong with you, Kevin? You're on a plane. You're living the dream. But there was an emotional thing. You can't control your emotions. You can be aware of them and you can try to ponder the meaning of them. And my emotion at the time was burnout. Like I don't want to be another airplane again. I don't want to go through the whole rat race of lining up, getting off, deboarding, passport stamp. But you know what? It's kind of like brushing your teeth, right? I know that this is good for me. I know that when I'm back home and I look back at the experience, I will be so grateful I had it. I just feel like such a badass that I pulled this off even when I knew the time like it was just so tough to do it. Then I can know I can handle the difficult things. By the same token, Johnny, I do churn credit cards. I am the whole mileage, you know, miles person, one, you know, Miller Mile Flyer, uh, I collect, you know, Chase Sapphire points and uh, Amex um, platinum points where I pay for dinners and get three times the travel guiding. So every now and then I do get to fly business class. Nice. And that I never have problems with. Yeah, I, so think, I, I think, that's, that. think that's the biggest difference between flying business class and economy is looking forward to the flight or, you know, bearing it or sometimes even dreading it. That answers your question. How can I afford this? Well, if you pay for everyone, everyone goes out, right? Everyone goes out to have dinner. Even I do. I love cooking, but I take people out for dinner. Buy everyone's dinner. Like, I got this. This is on me. And you just pay it on it. And then you have everyone Venmo you back. Just like, actually, can everyone like pay me back 10, 15 dollars? Yeah, no problem. Like, you know, they were always about to do anyway. Some restaurants don't even take more than four credit cards. You do that, you have three times the miles for every time you go out and eat, right? And you pay for everyone's meals and have them pay you back. You pay for your share, just your share, right? You're not like, spending too much money but you get three times the mileage you know uh you do the same thing with traveling you do the same that's it just all adds up and eventually you have all these miles to fly if you don't want to fly business class you can literally fly free for the rest of your life mm -hmm. right? any, you any other kind of like tips you do like let's say you fly in economy and, and it's a long flight you know it's 13 14 18 hours do you do you like to go carry on only like do you like do you bring a neck pillow like what are some what like what like what do you do so Habits, old habits die hard. I only do carry on only. I never check anything in. I want to hit the ground running. I don't want to wait at baggage claims. You lose all the prime spots for you know the cabs and you know getting out of the 
airport and meeting the traffic and you get to start the trip early. And uh, so I never carry, I never start checking. I only do carry on in my backpack and I always have a neck pillow, but it's a special type of neck pillow. It goes entire, it's basically, it's inflatable. So it's very easy to pack, but it goes around your entire body. So it's like, you're cuddling something. It's like what? a, it's like an L or what, like, what, what is it called? It's like a giant penis. Uh, giant oh penis. Inflatable neck. <laughs> it's like a giant penis. It goes around. It's like a sash that you wear around uh, the diagonally and you can just cuddle with it. Uh, at the same time, I'm wearing a turtle. The, like the neck brace, like a C collar, and you've seen an emergency room. Okay, well, what brace. is it called? I, I'm dying to look at this. The, tur- the turtle. There's the turtle pillow, T-U-R-T-L. Okay. And then the travel, I think, buddy pillow, which is like um, this this thing that slings around. Wow, okay. Um, your, I don't think it's called the travel buddy, but it, you know what I'm talking about. You'll see it. It's it's it, You can cuddle with it. Okay. And I have both of those on. I have both of those on, so I'm, my neck is never – I'm a head bobber. So my neck is always up. Okay, so the, I always do window on uh-huh. long flights and aisles and short flights. Okay. Well, why do you like windows on long flights? So nobody has to bother you when they want to go uh, pee. Okay. I, I like the aisle because I like to get up like every hour just to stretch. And, and sometimes I don't even really need, need to pee, but I just like pretend I need to pee and it's just so I can walk. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I, I like aisle two for the longest time, but then I realized when I started doing windows, like I just started doing windows like a year ago. I was like, wow, I got a little more space. And I can lean against the wall and nobody wakes me up. Yeah, it's better to sleep. Okay, I can see that. I pop in some melatonin. I have wax to for my ear, ear so I don't have to hear anything. And I put on, uh, obviously, an eye mask that's really thick. Lewis and Clark is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And um, I always take off my shoes. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I do I'll, as well. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and you minimize the blue light. So no movies, uh, no food if you really want a good night's sleep. Oh, wow. So you actually sleep on – you try to sleep on on all the flights. I try to like knock out. I try to well reset. Well, the thing is, like, if I'm trying to get into that time zone, like I'm leading this trip coming up to Tanzania, so I might have to stay up a little bit mm-hmm. so I can get into the time zone quicker. So I will watch the movies. I will eat the food. But if I feel tired, I just lose my body and I just knock out. Okay, I like it. Uh, and like okay, and any other kind of random tips? Like, do you use Google Fi so you have uh, you have internet like wherever you land or T-Mobile? Uh, no, I'm on. I sprint, so they have this great international plan that I didn't know about until two years ago. So I was on airplane mode when I didn't need to be. Okay. Never got a SIM. I don't believe in traveling while connected. Uh, my first two years of traveling, other than to blog, which I actually did it on my laptop without any internet, uh, I believe not being connected, no cell phone, no connection, nobody can bother me, nobody can reach me, I can't reach anyone. That's truly being cut off because I think that's the best way to travel when you're like completely naked and alone. Uh, that is a way that's a fast, it's tough. It is the toughest and it is the most, you know, it, it is the most nerve wracking and it's the closest to having you like break down and like totally lose it. But however, it is the fastest way to becoming your own best friend, mm. right? If the only person you can talk to is yourself and you have no means to reach anyone else and they can reach you, you have to be, you have to force being alone with yourself. And of course you come out of that experience. You're going to be like, you know what? I'm fucking awesome. I can eat alone. I can travel alone. I can do this alone. It's all me. I didn't need anybody. Well, I'm a fucking badass. That is the attitude you, you come back with. Now, if you are going to be connected, I, I do recommend like the whole, you know, T-Mobile is everyone loves it. I'm on Sprint, which has this great international plan and it's free everywhere. I get data everywhere, 3G, uh, most countries, even in Afghanistan. Wow. And, okay. uh, yeah. So it's, Sprint is mostly business um, facing, not client, like customer, personal customer facing like Verizon is. So that's why Sprint has so many connections because they're just focused and invest in, in investing in like dealing with businesses. 
that's why they are so international. Okay. Definitely and that's why sense. their signal sucks in New York <laughs> for ah. personal customers. Uh, but that's fine because I like I like spin enough. I don't want to be too connected. Okay. Uh, what else? Yeah, I don't get spin SIM cards, so I can't really say too much on that. Yeah, like again, so different than what I do. But I could also see that if I was going on a trip, like a short trip for a week or, or you know, I would like, and I have a normal life back home. This is kind of a way to completely unplug and be completely immersed for those six days your way. Right. Um, I would say that if you want to make travel your priority, uh, don't pay for that TV. Don't pay for those for cable. Don't pay for video games, fancy dinners, nice clothes. Don't pay for gas. You know, that's that's a big one. Uh, I think once I started, but I wasn't even aware how much money I was saving until I had to consciously cut those things out. Even like as we talked about, like Sprint and everything, I paid like the cheapest rate. I don't, you know, want to spend too much on my cell phone bill, just enough to have service, and that's, you know, adds up. And it's like kind of like investing. I mean, this podcast could be about investing, where you know, saving money and not spending on things is a form of investment. Yeah, it grows your money. Yeah, and actually, so one thing that you had mentioned earlier about renting your place out while you travel—that's another reason why the things that we own own us, because. The most common excuse that I hear from people and why they can't rent their place out you know, while they travel, especially if they're going on a long trip, like for a month or two months, is because they're stuff. They're afraid people are going to touch their stuff. They're afraid people are going to break their stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, it's just stuff. And they're paying you thousands of dollars to, to, you know, to use your stuff. Like it just does not make sense to me. But people get so attached to things that they've bought. Where they just can't leave it. Step one, watch Marie Kondo. Step two, throw all your shit out. Step three, travel and rent out your place. Is Marie Kondo the the, the uh, Japanese? Um, yeah, the li- living with joy. Yeah, the Japanese lady living with joy and cutting things out. Yeah, like the de- you know, declutterer. Like, exactly, the declutterer, the one that you like. Look at your stuff, you put it all in a pile, and then you start throwing everything away, and you only keep the things that bring you joy. I really, when I that hugely resonated with me. Uh, and I realized I didn't need half of my stuff. And oh my God, gave them all away. It's great for taxes, huge tax deduction. I was able, I declared all of it. I was donating it left and right. And you saved a lot of money as well on taxes. And I realized I didn't need that much stuff. And it, it's actually the same thing with traveling. How you pack is like an analogy for life. Do you really need all that stuff on a trip? Like half the stuff that I used to pack one of my earlier trips, I was like, I never wore this shirt. I wore the same shirt every day and I was happy. And I still look good. And I didn't need to pack the going out clubbing. I didn't need more than one pair of that or nice shoes. And that's the, that's actually saying that's beyond this podcast. It's, it's the same. Uh, when you go pack, lay out all your stuff and take twice the money and half the clothes. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And the biggest money saving tip in the world is just not to buy things in the first place. Like it yes. sounds so no simple. Like it just sounds so simple. Oh my but... god! Yeah, it... don't buy souvenirs. Why are you buying souvenirs? Oh, I need to collect everything. So fine, that's cool. That is your thing. I'm, I don't want to shit on it, but I swear to God, all my the stuff that I have from North Korea or Afghanistan thing, it was so cool. I don't know where it is right now. I know it's there. I didn't give it away. I didn't mar- Marie Kondo that yet, but it's there. It's somewhere in my basement. I never had to look at it ever again, and it was just useless. And at the time, I thought it was so cool souvenirs. I'm gonna like use it to brag. No, souvenirs just take up room. Take your yeah. memories with you. Like, no, you one gives, short, no one gives you a shit. And nobody wants yeah, the no souvenir you know, crap that you brought back for them. They're like They wanted to go on that trip. Like You bring back some trinket from there that you have to lug around and pay extra luggage for. Like Nobody cares about it. Like Either bring back Wait, something that they can eat, like some candy or something, or, or just take photos. 
Right. And then even I would say like, I'm, and this is the guy that ha I have a DSLR on my hip when I take photos. So it's everywhere. I love taking photos. But I would even go to test step further and say, same with photos. Like, do you have short term memory loss or something? Like, don't take photos of everything. Like, to, if, if I had to choose between a photo or souvenir, I'll choose the photo. Mm. But even then, go take the next step. Just tr challenge yourself. Don't take the photo of it. Don't take a photo of something beautiful. Just take it all in. Really just take in all the sights, smell, sounds, and leave it at that. And it would be so much more valuable to you if you take a quick photo. Because then if you took a photo, you wouldn't appreciate it as much. Mm. Same thing with social media and how we use travel and social media. Please, for the love of God, don't make it a story. Just take it in. Make it your story. I know this is like foreign languages for some people, but you know, it is. it really makes a huge difference in your travel experience when you're unplugged, disconnected, and you consciously choose to be in the present and not have to take a photo. Yeah, I can definitely see that. For, for me personally, I, I like kind of a, a hybrid version where I'll take a very quick photo and then put my phone away. And I won't, I, I think the worst thing someone can do is spend five minutes, you know, taking that photo, like, uploading it, writing the description, looking for that, you know, putting the hashtags down. And then they, they, they never even experience that moment. Uh, for me personally, I like having that moment of, you know, three months or six months or two years later going back to those photos and be like, oh yeah, I do remember that. But oh, like, for sure. Me, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. No, get me wrong. Johnny, you and I are the same person. Like I love to take photos. of it. I have like literally a DSLR attached to my hip. I have a strap. It never leaves my side. I take photos of everything. But I would find myself coming back and I'd be like, that was it? Like, I didn't really. So I'm trying something. So th this is this is like the worst person giving this advice, right? <laughs> People who know me rolling their, are literally rolling their eyes right now. Like, Calvin, you're the person who takes photos of everything. And I get it. I'm, but that's the thing. I am super self-aware. I'm trying to be better. And I'm trying this, this, this new thing of not having to take a photo. And I think I did it once or twice. And it was just so much more impactful. And then I still took a photo of it. <laughs> I went back and took a photo of it. But... You know, by the time I was like, you know what, I'm going to try not to. And it was a great feeling. Then I took a photo of it. So not the best, not there, but it's just a challenge. That necessarily means like you have to do it all the time. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, yeah. understand. But the person who takes an hour on their Instagram to take a photo, you know who you are. I know exactly who I'm talking to. Uh, all of them do travel with me. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm the type I'm like, if you take, around. take take two photos, maybe three max, if you don't look good at any of those three photos, you, you're probably just not as good looking as you think you are. So just let it be. Yeah. It's just, it's, it just takes away from the experience of just being yeah. in the moment. I, I'm a big proponent of being present when you travel. I definitely agree. So one of the things I really like about your travel blog or travel company, monsoondiaries.com, is that it started as a personal blog and you just started inviting people along on a trip. It wasn't even a travel company. It was literally you saying, hey, I'm going to go you know, to this place on these dates. If anyone wants to come along, you know, you're welcome to. And now it's kind of more of a hybrid where it's not this big travel company that has the same tours every weekend or every month. It's literally still you saying, hey, I want to go here. <laughs> Who wants to come along? Like you have to pay for it now. I'm, I mean, uh, so I'm, I'm not going to do it for free, but uh, it's not going to be like a package store. It's going to be like a small group trip. Wow, thank you. That was like the most accurate description of what I do. I think that's like more accurate to how I struggle to describe what I do because I still to this day have no idea what I'm doing. And it's it is successful, it is huge. It is like, you know, paying for itself on 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 a in, in a way that I did not expect. But I still have a difficulty describing that. And what you just said, literally just like, holy shit, like 
Yeah, that sounds great. Well, f- um, f- feel free yeah, to c- cut that out and then use it for your for your advertising. Thanks, man. No, yeah. that was amazing. Like, uh, but yeah, I th- I think the more accurate description was people were inviting themselves to my trip. Mm. And who am I to say no? I love a good party. You know, I'm going to eat at this fancy, nice new restaurant. Who wants to come along and share the experience with me? So we can order more food and share di- and di- share different dishes and try new things, right? And it's kind of like that, like. I'm going to this country. If I go alone and nobody wants to come along, fine. You know, go fuck yourself. I'm going to have fun. But if you do want to come along, I'm happy to do all the work and, you know, take you along. But in all seriousness, like, I, I, I do have a lot of friends in different networks that I'm grateful to have met over the past, uh, you know, few years through traveling. And that was actually created from a foundation of friends that I made while, you know, before I started traveling. And that was like my, my life as, you know, an activist and, you know, uh, medical, uh, sorry, college student and then also medical students. So different pockets of friends and they would just watch me blog as I would travel. And for those of you who are wondering, like, how did he do it? They're still wondering, like, oh, my God, like he says all this, but how do I know, you know he's the real deal? I actually blog every day starting from the first day of medical school up until I graduated all those eight years. Everywhere I went, I would blog every day while on the road. Every day I'm in the airport, every day I got back, every day, every moment where I was like, I'm going to miss this class or this test. Oh, my God, I'm freaking out, typing this blog in a cab on the way from JFK. Like thing, I would blog it. So it is documented. Everything is spread out like a piano keys, <laughs> right? It's, it's there for you to look at. And you can see how over time how I was traveling alone, one or two people. And you can see how from the comment section and my subsequent blog post, few and four more people started asking Oh my God, this is cool. Can I join along? Join along. Someone who would post in the comment section, let's say her name is Jessica, right? I don't know you, but what you're doing is amazing. And then three blog posts later, you see Jessica on a trip with me. Oh, that's right? cool. That is what I do. Yeah, that that is what I never will say no to someone who has good intentions and wants to come on a trip. And unlike other travel bloggers who I have so much respect for, I don't think having more people on a trip weighs me down. Uh, or gets in the way of my my brand because I honestly have no idea what my brand is. Yeah. I just go about it organically and authentically, and I let the brand brand define itself. And I've let the people who have believed me since the very beginning uh, define that for me, and I'm grateful for, to them. So yeah, now it's turned into this monster with this community of I would say the self created community of international travelers on the world who you know travel with me every three to four weeks and uh, turn my travel blog, which it still is, into an accidental travel company. I like it, man. I, and I wish more people would do something like, like you do. It's kind of like these, you know, it's that, that middle ground that is, that's missing, you know, because it, it, is, it is beneficial to go with someone who actually knows what they're doing and has, you know, has experience. Because a lot of, a lot of people, they're, you know, they are legitimately scared to travel alone. You know, they want to be in a group. They want to be with someone who, you know, even though they haven't been to that country, like they, you know, they, they have some experience, but also not be on a fucking package tour, which is like the worst thing anyone can go on. Yeah. Johnny, somebody said like, what's the next step? Are you going to scale? You're going to scale? Like this thing is huge. This thing's huge. And I'm like, if I scale, it's going to turn into a tour company with package tours. And I, this, it is over. Like I would, I would detest myself. That's when I start having regrets. Like no way. Right. I don't want to scale. I mean, this whole mantra actually of entrepreneurship, uh, there was some, and I don't think it actually applies hundred percent, but build things that don't scale. Like mm-hmm. that is an actual thing. Build things that don't scale. Do it because you love doing it. And I think the issue with the entrepreneurs is that they always go about things 
saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't know what the idea is. I don't know what the product is, but I want to be an entrepreneur. Then it's a top-down approach. It's not organic, it's not authentic, and it's insincere. Like if I set off saying, hey, Johnny, I want to create a travel company. I want to start out with a travel blog and do all those things. People will be like, gross. Like this guy is car salesman-y, insurance salesman-y kind of guy. Don't really want to sign up for this like faux entrepreneurship wannabe thing. I still don't want to get into that or to fall into that trap. I still want to be authentic and genuine. And therefore, I'm stuck to staying small as a one-man operation in terms of logistics. I've expanded in that I do now have guides, right? But they all have their own day jobs and they can lead trips whenever they want, but only whenever they want and they're ready to. And they get a free trip out of it. And if you want to lead trips for me and get a free trip out of it, come travel with me and see if we're on the same wavelength. And so it's all yours. Like it really is. Like I'm not here to play games or try to undercut anyone. I'm not doing it for the money, right? I have a job as a doctor. So the the issue is this is not like a life or death. I'm not going to sacrifice anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're, you're well paid as a doctor. So this is definitely a labor of love. You know, it's, it's, I'm comfortable. You know, I'm comfortable. You know, I'm very, I'm very grateful. Okay. Uh, I worked hard to get here, but uh, Botswana Diaries is not in it for the money. We're in it to create access for those who feel like they cannot travel. And most of the people who do come on my trips are first-time travelers and uh, people who've been on like 10 trips with me. Yeah, that's dope. I, I like that a lot. So, yeah, I hope to see you somewhere in the world. Uh, I probably won't be coming on any of these trips anytime soon. But no <laughs> I'll be well, in – um... I'll swing by where you are and yeah. have lunch. Up that. You know, that's, that's how we do it. Like there are a lot of people in our – our community who's like, you know what, I traveled with you, Calvin, and it's too insane, it's too crazy, or like, you know, like, I, I just, I'm not, I wasn't relaxed. Some of them come back and saying like, I'm having the shakes, I'm going to withdrawal, this is the only way I can travel. And some of them stick to that, saying like, nope, I like my three months into place. Uh, but, you know, it was impactful, it was like, a, like a memorable ex relationship, you know? Like, I'm not, I don't regret it. If you're ever in the area, let's have lunch. Kind of like an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend that you're in good terms with. You know, so it, it's totally fine to not subscribe to our wave travels, not for everyone. I always tell people that before they come to my trips, but by all means, we're all part of the same family. We're not trying to tear each other down how we do things. We all do things differently. And let, at the very least, let's meet up, let us drop by and have lunch and create another travel story because a night out on drinks with you, man, like with my group, if we ever come to where you are, whether it's Georgia or, you know, wherever you're going next or Thailand, um, I know that's your favorite country. Yeah, uh, let's get a story. Let's make it happen. Oh yeah, yeah for we sure. Can go visit. Yeah. For sure. Anytime we're in the same city, let's definitely hang out. I, I would love to. Yeah, I'm all, I'm 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 everywhere and, and nowhere at the same time. So just like a rock, man. John, huh? all you gotta do is invite me up for a beer, and if I'm free, I'm there. All right, cool. Well, I'll be in uh, L.A. and San Francisco this I think September. So if you're around, I'd love to see you. September, I'm in Greenland. Ooh. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll figure out a place Courtney. somewhere in the world. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, if people want to find you, what's the best way to, to reach out? I'm the best if you I'm best reached personally through Facebook, Calvin D. Sun. And my website is monsoondiaries.com. M-O-N-S-O-O-N-D-I-A-R-I-E-S dot com. Monsoon like monsoon wedding and diaries like motorcycle diaries. Very cool. Work. I'm sure everyone's and, dying to know what does monsoon diaries mean? 
Monsoon Diaries is the weather pattern. It's basically inspired by, well, it was actually inspired by Monsoon Wedding and Motorcycle Diaries. I like just watched Monsoon Wedding and I just watched Monsoon, Motorcycle Diaries. <laughs> it's natural fit. But the travelers who came on my, uh, my first few trips and the way I was traveling and leading them on tours. And it's kind of funny, Johnny, you say that like, I know what I'm doing. People sign up for my trips because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. They want that authenticity of a backpacking trip as if they were traveling alone. It's group travel for people who hate group traveling. And they mm. don't want to feel like they're in a package. They want to feel like we're in this together as if we've never done it before, which we haven't. And we're figuring it out together. And it's much more fun that way. And we see everything that we have to see. It's just there's so much more spontaneity. And that being said, what does that remind you of? What weather pattern does that remind you of? A monsoon. It comes out of nowhere. It covers everything in a short amount of time. And it pieces the fuck out. And it's a joyous. It's not a stormy thing like a typhoon where it causes death and destruction. Monsoon is a celebrated weather pattern in many parts of the world. It's something that brings the harvest. It's something that people do and have weddings in as auspicious uh, signs for a, a wedding uh, and a good marriage. And it is you know, heavy and a downpour of rain. It covers every inch of the surface area and it's short-lived and it moves on and it's sustainable. And diaries, I've just like you and Chris and you know people we know, I've kept a diary since I was five years old and I've never stopped. It went from blue and uh, black and white marble notebooks to Zenga to WordPress to the Monster Diary. I love and, it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's both personal and describes the way we move. I love it. Fun fact, I had a Zenga as well. <laughs> Yeah, is it still up? Mine is still no, up. No, they, they've. I had I had Zenga Premium. I paid for Lifetime, and you know the company is basically out of business. I'm sure it's somewhere. Uh, but I hope no one ever finds it. Uh, it's so embarrassing. For uh, <laughs> those of you out there, I'm an open book. Zenga.com/soho. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's still oh up. Oh my god! Somebody bought Lifetime. A fan had bought a Lifetime thing for me, and I've never met him. I'm very grateful. Yeah, still I th- up. I think so mine was a Zenga. little Asian gangster '69 faux show. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Was mine it too was from that? ZZ Asian X ZZXX, right? And another one was dumpling dim sum. Dumpling dim sum was a proud moment of my life. Yeah, but this was a fun interview, <laughs> and I'm I'm really glad I had you on the show, and I hope to see you some in the world. So everyone, check out MonsoonDiaries.com for upcoming trips, and to read all about his kind of crazy life through his blog so uh thanks again and i'll see all of you guys next week see ya thank you for listening to the travel like a boss podcast if you want to hear more including the bonus how to choose the perfect niche episode join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com see you next week and remember if you want to travel like a boss you need to be your own boss so start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of